Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. I'm particularly blessed, uh, two Sundays in a row, huh? Uh, so uh, how many of you were in our Proclaim group? Any of our Proclaim members here? Okay, you remember one of the first lessons we dealt with about ministry was you must be in season, out of season. Uh, in other words, we taught you, we tried to teach you that you must constantly be working as the Holy Spirit's working through your devotional life on ideas and thoughts that ultimately would become a message, and then you store those away, and at some particular moment in time, ready or not, at least you can reach in and draw from. Now, most of you know that I've been ministering uh, since I was 18 years old, so that's uh, 50 years. Uh, I've already done the math for you. You don't have to do it. And, uh, and so I have these file cabinets in the, uh, in the garage, with 50 years worth of messages. So there are things I can draw upon. But when the phone rings at 8.05 on a Sunday morning and your son says, Dad, <laughs> uh, it is a different animal. And so uh, the, the, the initial reaction is, oh, okay, man, I've got 15 or 20. You know, I'm, I've been evangelizing for years, and I can just go. But I've learned something in 50 years. That's fleshly. That works for me, but it may not work for him, and it certainly may not work for you. And so quickly you learn to pray and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, and I hope that uh, I've heard correctly this morning. And so I want to share a thought to, with you from Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse... Uh, I told you 28, Teresa, it's really 25, I'm sorry. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted Jesus, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? How readest thou? And he answering said, You shall love the Lord thy God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your might, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said unto him, you have answered right. This do, and you shall live. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, uh, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him, and departed leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed. Now, I'm emphasizing these because you need to understand. The priest, by chance. But the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. 
And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast or donkey, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, or two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper of the host, and said unto him, Take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And the doctor of the law said, He that showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said unto him, Go, and do thou likewise. It may be one of the most, if not the most well-known of all Jesus' parables. Now, basically, it is the parable of the Samaritan. But we've added a word to it. We call it the parable of the good Samaritan so as to distinguish between him and the other two that were involved in this situation. And this is basically a story. You see, Jesus didn't use visuals like we do. Uh, he didn't have uh, uh, DVRs and, and all these different technology things and computer generated to all of a sudden push a button and bring up a story like we can do. And so he was a rabbi, a master, a teacher, a storyteller. Now he had a few view, visual aids that he could use. He talked about farmers sowing seed by the wayside. He talked about sheep on the hillside. He talked about bring me the coin, show me whose image is on it. He used a few visuals. But basically he told stories. He related to that generation through what we call parables. And this is a very interesting story. But to understand it, you have to understand the background that it came out of. For you see, Jesus had just sent out the 70 two by two. And he had given them power not only to proclaim the gospel, but to heal the sick and to cast out devils. And he told them that all the powers of the enemy would be subject to them. And when they returned to him, they came rejoicing over the fact that power had been given to them and the devils, the demonic spirits, were subject to them. And Jesus said, wait, wait, wait now. I don't want you to rejoice over that. I've already told you I've given you power over Serpents and, uh, serpents and scorpions and, and all the power of the enemy and nothing by any means shall... I've, look, I've, I've seen Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Don't rejoice that you have power over the devil. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That you have eternal life. And Jesus takes a moment as he's surrounded by his returning disciples and the people to praise God. He said, Father, I thank you that you've revealed these things unto me. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And the only ones that can know the Father is the one that the Son reveals to. And these things that people and prophets and kings wanted to know for hundreds of years and never heard. You've seen it. Your eyes have seen these things. And your ears have heard these things. And you are blessed. Well, the people around him didn't like that. He's, he's claiming equality with the Father. And so a doctor of the law stood up. Now, the New Testament, King James says lawyer. Don't, don't get our lawyers here. This is a man that spent his entire life studying the law for a purpose. To be an expert so that he can adjudicate cases. 
so that people that do not understand the law or need an interpretation of the law can come to him. He's the expert. He can tell them what the Torah, the law says so that they can do what the law tells them to do. He is the expert in this thing. And he's standing up not with a pure heart wanting eternal life, but in order to test Jesus, to tempt the Lord, to expose him before the whole crowd and to say unto them, he is not an expert of the law. He's some itinerant preacher from up north in Galilee and, and he doesn't understand all these things. And so with an assumed posture of superiority, he says, Master, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus turns the table and he says, well, you're the doctor of the law. How do you read it? How do you understand it? You're going to catch him with that question. He immediately goes to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Know, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. And you will love the Lord thy God with all of your mind and all of your soul and all of your spirit and all of your strength. And then he picks up Leviticus and says, and you will love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus said, man, that's right. You are the scholar. You are the expert. Do these things and you will live. Uh-oh. Love God totally. Every day, constantly, consistently, with everything that's within you, and then love your neighbor as you love yourself with the same energy and effort and priority that you take care of yourself. You take care of your neighbor. Uh, he's got a problem, and we all do, don't we? Because instead of turned outward, most of us are turned inward. And so he seeks to justify himself. And he says, oh, by the way, how do you define neighbor? You know, it all depends on what the definition of is is. It, it all depends. <coughs> I'm sorry. It, it all depends upon semantics and definitions and technical terms. Who is my neighbor? Jesus starts a story. And he says there is a certain man. Not named, but a particular man. And this man is on a journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's the normal journey of that day. That's not an unusual journey. I'll get back to that in a moment. And along the way of that journey, he falls among thieves and robbers. And they stripped him of his raiment and they wounded him and he's bleeding and he's lying on the side of the road half dead. And then Jesus interjects the other characters. And there is a priest that happens that way. He's not planning to come that way. He is just by chance passing by. And when he sees the man, the Jew, in that fallen state, in that state of being wounded and bruised and bloodied and left dying, he scurries by on the other side. And then there comes a Levite or a doctor of the law or a scribe or those who spend their life recording and keeping the truth of the law. And when he sees the man, he comes to where he is and looks upon him. And seeing his condition, he passes by and scurries away. And then there passes that way the third character, the Samaritan, who is only half Jewish who in the Old Testament, whose ancestors had turned to idolatry, who, who the Jews felt were outside the covenant relation with Abraham, who had their own Torah, who had their own mountain. To, you know John chapter 4. Jesus must needs go through Samaritan. And, and when he went through Samaritan, there he stopped at the well. You, you remember. And, and, and the lady comes with a religious question. Our fathers say to worship God in this mountain, and your fathers say in Jerusalem, because you see, the Jews had no dealing with Samaritans. They're half-breeds. They're outcasts. They're not true believers. They're not under the covenant of Abraham and Jehovah God. 
And because of that, they are despicable people. In fact, the Jew would not go directly up to Galilee because he'd have to go to Samaria. And so he would turn away from Samaria and go on the other side of the Jordan and then cut back into Galilee because the Jews had no dealing with the Samaritans. And a Samaritan came that way. And he sees his fallen Jewish brother. And he goes to where he is. And the Bible said he was moved upon with compassion. And because of that, he rips his own garments. I mean, he didn't, he didn't have an emergency medical kit here. He had only his garments. And so he's willing to strip pieces off of his own garment in order to make bandages. And then he took oil and wine, which were very valuable, and he pours the oil into the wounds to soften them and the wine to disinfect them. And he binds up that broken man, puts him on his own donkey, and carries him to an inn, a place of safety and provision, and cares for him. And knowing he has to leave the next day, he reaches in his own pocket and pulls out two pennies, two days' wages, and pays the innkeeper and says, you take care of him. And when I come this way again, I plan to be back this way. And when I come this way again, if he's charged any more, if he's cost you anything, I'll pay that too. And Jesus looked at the doctor of the law and said, who do you suppose is the neighbor of the three? And the man's pretty smart. I mean, duh. You don't have to be Einstein to figure this one out. It's not rocket science. It's the one that showed mercy. And Jesus looked at him and said, you go and do likewise. Simple. Poignant. Powerful. And there's two ways it can be interpreted. The first is what we call the spiritual interpretation. Because in this story is the microcosm of the story of salvation. There was a certain man. A man not named but indicative of us all. And this man, like us, begins a journey. And he starts it at Jerusalem, the city of God's peace, the city of God's presence. But he does not stay in the city of God's peace and the city of God's presence. But his journey starts him away from God and starts him downward to Jericho. <coughs> and Jericho is the cursed city. It was a city that barred the Israelites into their, into their Old Testament inheritance. And in fact, when Joshua destroyed that city, when the walls came tumbling down or came down flat, Joshua cursed that city and said, if anybody ever rebuilds this city, it will be rebuilt. They will set the gates or the foundation in the death of their firstborn, and they will complete it in the death of their secondborn. And if you read the Old Testament, that literally came to happen. came to pass. And so it was a place of the curse. It was the stronghold of the enemy. The Bible said he started in the presence of God, but he starts this spiraling downward path. See, Jericho's northeast of Jerusalem, right at the edge of the Dead Sea wilderness. And from Jerusalem to Jericho is 3,000 foot drop in elevation. And it is a downward path that is twisting and winding and it leads through valleys in the Jordanian River and it comes up through mountains and crags and it leads to the cursed place. And it is the place of the habitation of robbers. I mean, if you're going to get somebody, if you're going to attack somebody, there's no place better than on the Jericho Road. Because there's valleys to hide in and rocks and crevices to hide behind. And as this man begins the downward journey, we're all that man. 
was started in the likeness and the image of God in the book of Genesis. But we all fell short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We each one have turned our own way. And the path away from God leads to Jericho, the place of curse, the place of death, the place of hell itself. And along the way, it is twisting and winding. And the way of the transgressor is hard. In fact, the one of the words for sin is wickedness. And it comes from our word wicker, which means twisted and distorted and bent. And every one of us started on that journey. We left the presence of God. We sinned against God. We started a downward journey that was leading us from the place of God's peace to the place of destruction and the curse. And along the way of that winding journey, we fell among thieves. He's called Satan. He's come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I, I don't know how this man was attacked. Maybe the robbers and the thieves were in hiding because the enemy comes like a, 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 an angel of light, deception. Maybe they were hiding and the Bible says Jesus said they fell on him. All of a sudden he's walking down the path minding. One thing the stupid man did was didn't travel in the caravan. Most people never went that way unless there was protection of other people. They knew there were robbers in the area. Isn't that like us? We start right down the journey we know is leading away from God. We know where it's headed. It's twisting and winding and torturous and we go unprotected. And all of a sudden the devil falls. And the Bible said it stripped him. That's what sin does. It strips us of our morality. It strips us of our conscience. It, it, it strips us of any relationship with God. And it wounds us. It leaves us with woeful, gashing wounds of addictions and sins that we can no longer control. And we find ourselves lying on that road, half dead, alive physically, but dead spiritually. For the Bible said that if we're not in Christ Jesus, then we're dead in trespasses and sins. And we find ourselves dead spiritually, but alive physically. He's half dead. And all of a sudden, in the background of that morbid story, you hear the trumpet blow. The Calvary's coming. Help's on its way. And the first guy, that happens. He didn't plan to come that way. The priest would only come up from Jericho to Jerusalem once a year to serve and do their duty in the temple. And because of what happened in this story, it probably meant the priest had left Jericho and was on his way to Jerusalem to fulfill his responsibility once a year sometimes once in his lifetime in the temple, to offer sacrifices to God. He's a type of the sacrificial system, of the shedding of the blood of the bulls and the goats and the turtle doves. And, and he's on his way to do service, and he, by chance, he didn't plan to come that way. He's just on his way to do his religious duty and service. And he sees the man, and the moment that he sees that he's wounded and half dead, he scurries by on the other side because... If he touches that man and that man dies, he is ceremonially, religiously defiled. If he touches the much as a dead bone, then he is contaminated. He can't go into the temple. He can't offer the sacrifice. He can't fulfill his duty. Because you see, that's what the Old Testament sacrifice, sacrificial system did. It never could take away your sin. Oh, it could roll it ahead. But the blood of bulls and of goats and the shedding of the ashes of a heifer and the sprinkling of... That could never wash away your sins. There was always a remembrance of sin. 
that couldn't save you at all. And so he passes by on the other side. And then there came that way a Levite, someone who is steeped in the law. And the Bible said he came and looked on him. Doesn't that make you feel better? You know what the law does? The law walks up to you and you're lying there wounded and bruised and half dead, attacked by the devil, abandoned by everyone else, and the law says, you're a sinner. Duh. I know. The Bible said without the law you would not know sin. No one knew what sin really was until the law came. The law was added to show how awful sin was, but the law couldn't save you. All the law can do is tell you, you've sinned. But the law has no power. No flesh is justified by the keeping of the works of the law. And so the law can come and look at you and tell you that you're fallen, that you're wounded, that you're lost, that you're dying, that you're on your way to Jericho, hell. But it can't save you. The law turns and walks on the other side. And then there came, not by chance, but a Samaritan purposely. I don't know why he traveled that road. I'm just glad he did. And he comes. Who is he? He is this despised one. The rejected one. The Jews hate him. Oh, we have a Samaritan who was despised and rejected of his own. For he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many that receive him, he gives them the power to become the sons of God. And he didn't come to that road by chance like the priest. He intended to find his way there. Oh, the Bible says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't take upon himself the nature of angels, uh, but, but he took upon himself the seed of man. And he that knew no sin became sin for us. He was made flesh and dwelt in our neighborhood. He moved into our mess. And so God loved the world and gave his son. And his son was made flesh and came in as a babe in the manger so that he could walk the road where men are traveling who have left the presence of God and started on their way to a devil's hell and find themselves wounded and bleeding and bruised and shattered and broken and half dead. But Jesus knows where you are because he's come to seek out and to save that which was lost. That's the whole purpose of him coming. He didn't come to call the righteous to repentance, but the sinner to salvation. And the good Samaritan comes to where he is. Aren't you glad that one day Jesus came to where you are? He didn't find you at Jerusalem, did he? Didn't find me there. He found me on a journey leading away from God. Tormented. Fun, but no joy. Lust, but no love. Oh, come on. I'm not going to relax. I'm not going to tell you all my sins. I've already told them to the great high priest. I don't need to tell them to you. But friend, I was on the road. I had fallen among thieves. I was wounded. I was bleeding. I was dead to God. But there came a good Samaritan. That others had despised and rejected and came to where I was. And when he saw me, he was moved with compassion. Compassion. That inward yearning of love and mercy and pity. You can't describe, there's no English word. We say bowels. Uh, bowels of mercy. 
the word is actually your spleen. Out of the innermost part of your being, there comes this longing, this yearning of love and mercy and pity. And you want to help somebody and you want to touch somebody and you want to assist somebody and you want to do good and you want to change their situation. But it also means you have the power to do it. And it's only talked about in the New Testament of Jesus nine distinct times. And every time he's moved upon with compassion, he performs the miracle. And out of compassion, he kneels down. And he rips his own garments. And Jesus let his own flesh be ripped on the cross. And he pours in the oil of the Holy Spirit that softens and convicts us of our sins and our unrighteousnesses. And then he pours in the wine of his own blood. Because when he did communion, he said, take, this is my blood, drink it. Because it's for the shedding of the sins, the remission of the sins of many. And he forgives us. And he binds us up. And he sets us on the beast of burden. And he carried us to the end of his grace. I call that the church. And he put us in charge of the innkeepers, spiritual leaders and elders, and most of all the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus reaches in his own pocket and pays our price for our redemption. And then he said, I plan to come this way again, you know. And if I, when I come back, if there's anything else that needs to be paid, I'll pay that too. Oh, but friend, when he comes back this time, there's nothing left to pay. For the Bible says, unto those that look for him, he shall appear the second time without sin, without a price for sin, unto ultimate redemption and salvation. Well, that's where the parable ends. What do you think the man that had fallen among thieves did? Did you ever thought about that? You know what I think he did? I think he got up and said, you know what? From now on, since I am the recipient of this mercy and this grace that I didn't deserve, from somebody that was despicable and rejected, amen. I tell you what, I'm, every once in a while on purpose, I'm going to travel this road again. And I'm going to see if I can find somebody that's wounded and bleeding and half dead and tell them I know a man. I know a Samaritan. I know a despised and rejected one that paid the price for me and stopped me on a headlong journey to destruction and brought me to a house of provision. He's coming back down this road someday. And I'm going to help you until he gets here. Okay, that's sanctified imagination on my part, but I think it's good. And so when the parable ended, Jesus looked at the man that asked him the false question to tempt him and said, Okay, who's the neighbor? And he said, well, it's not hard. Even though I don't want to admit it, the man that showed mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do what he did. So that's the spiritual interpretation. Which leads us now. Is it okay? That's my introduction. Can I preach? I'm kidding. Which leads us to this. Jesus says, yeah, it's not just a spiritual story, it's a practical story. Because if you're my follower, then you have to go and do what I did. So since you've been rescued, 
since you have been bound up from your wounds, redeemed from the brokenness of your situation, brought into the house of God's grace, provided for by everything that I've done, you've got to go out and do likewise. You have to find others that were in your situation. You have to find others that are wounded and bruised and broken, lost in their sin, shattered in their relationships. Jesus basically said, by the way, they're all around you. And you have to go find them. So why is it so difficult to do? Quickly, because it will cost you your personal compassion. You can't just sit and listen to all the news reports that inundate you day after day after day of earthquakes and tsunamis and floods and fires and deaths and suicide bombings and ethnic cleansing in Sudan until you're so inundated and overwhelmed you just sit there and it will. He said, no, it's going to cost you your own personal compassion. You're going to have to feel like I feel and care like I care and yearn like I yearn and long like I long and desire like I desire to reach out and to touch and to relieve and to help. You have to be moved upon with compassion. I know all the con stories. I know about the $200 a day people that stand on the street corners. I know they take the money and use it for what I wouldn't spend my money. I know that. But we get in the place where we see suffering humanity. It's like a friend of mine. Every time he'd see somebody on the highway side hitchhiking, he'd roll his window down and say, Buy your own gas! But isn't that so often? We don't want to be bothered with that, so we switch the channel. We watch OU win and weep when OSU loses. And, you know, we're moved by that. But we're not moved by those who are broken and wounded, shattered and lost and hurting. And he said, what it's going to cost you, the reason you don't want to be a neighbor is it costs you your personal compassion. Secondly, it costs you personal inconvenience. The man turned aside from his journey to go to where the man was falling. It's not convenient to be compassionate. It's going to cost you your time, your treasures, your talents. It's not convenient to serve others. It never comes at the right time. It comes in the middle of family celebrations. It comes in the middle of when you don't feel good. Oh, come on. It's not convenient to serve others. It costs you not only your personal compassion, your personal inconvenience, it costs you your personal safety. Do you understand if I'm a robber what I'm going to do? I'm hiding in the rocks. And I'm leaving the dude wounded, bleeding, and almost dead. And the moment you turn aside to help him, <laughs> Guess who the next victim is? Ambush. It, it costs your personal safety to help people that are in trouble. Because you, you can't bring them to the end of grace until you go to where they are. 
We want to open the door at the end of Graceland Church and say, you all come. They can't come. They're wounded. They're bleeding. They're dying. <coughs> They're half dead. You've got to go to where they are and bring them. It's going to cost you your personal safety. It's not safe out there. And yet somebody has to do it. Jude says that. He said, of some love, compassion, and make a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment that despiled and spotted by the flesh. It's going to cost you your personal safety. It's going to cost a personal cost. You have to use your own clothes, your own money. You have to pay the price. And most of all, and I close, it's going to cost you your personal prejudice. Oh, dude, I am not going to help that guy on the side of the road. Do you know who he is? He's a Jew. He hates me. He thinks I'm the most despicable thing on the face of the earth. He says, I don't know God. He says, I don't worship God. He says, my forefathers were a bunch of pagan idolaters. He doesn't, he doesn't like me. And the only way you're ever going to be able to help people is to deal with your own personal prejudice. Don't tell me you don't have them. I know better. Dude, I've been on the, the road for a while. I was raised in it. I was raised on East Side Main Street in Anadarko, Oklahoma. And the only way you can understand what Anadarko means is if you can say in a dark hole, then you can say Anadarko. Social, economical prejudice, racial prejudice. It, it wasn't so much black and white. We integrated in the 57. And the only reason we did it was because the black school was so terrible that the, the educators finally came together and said, we got to do something about this. It was, it was Indian. We're the Indian capital of the nation. And people in Anadarko despised Indians. And if you were poor white trash, like my family, you had to have somebody to look down on. You guys are looking at me. And so it was Indians. I love my mom. She's been in heaven a long time. And thank God she finally repented and came to the Lord. But she taught us from the time I was growing up. The only good Indian is a dead Indian. And she meant it. I was reared in it. I know what it is to just despise somebody because of their nationality. The color of their skin. Because they don't believe. I know that. But the only way you're ever going to help somebody. Is it's going to cost you your own personal prejudice. Because they're everywhere you look. There's AIDS and homosexuals and addicts and rockers and nerds and up and out and down and out and broken and shattered people that aren't like you but are hurting just like you are. But the difference is the Samaritan came to where you were and he brought you off the road into his house of grace and so now he says the only way that you can be my disciple is that you go and you do likewise. Jesus said in Matthew, when you, I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. When I was sick, you visited me. And when I was in prison, you came to me. And they said, when? And he said, because you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren. That was me. You did it for me. That's what I'm talking about in the new. You are the recipient of his grace. He's bound up your wounds. He's carried you on his word into the house of grace. He's paid the price for you. And he says to be my follower, 
you've got to go and do likewise. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. Visit the fatherless and the widows in their afflictions and keep yourself unspotted in the world. It's going to cost you, just like it costs us in heaven. I wonder while every head's bowed for just a moment. Just right where you're seated, just bow your heads. If there may be someone to begin this new year that you've left the city of God. And you've started on a downward path that's leading to destruction and you've fallen among thieves and you feel wounded and bleeding and stripped and lost. I just want you to know this morning you came to the right place because there's a good Samaritan here. That's why we say good because Jesus is here just for you. And he wants to stop right where you are. Rip his own garments. He's already done that on Calvary. Pour in the wine and the oil. Heal your wounds. Bind you up. Give you new life. Bring you into His grace. He's already paid the price. And you've never really had a relationship with Jesus or you've had one and you've stumbled away in the wrong direction. And right where you're seated, you'd just like to make a new commitment and say, Jesus, right here I am, bruised and broken, shattered, but I need you. Would you just slip up your hand? No one's going to come to you. No one's going to embarrass you. I just, I just want you to pray for me. Amen. Amen. Aren't you so glad that He knows where you are and that He won't leave you there? He comes to where you are. Father, you see the hands. You know where our journeys led us hasn't always been like we thought. But you're moved with compassion. You loved. And you're coming right to where we are right now. And Lord, as we simply call upon your name, you said, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, delivered. Take them where they are right now. Bind up the brokenness of their heart. Pour in the, the, the wine of your forgiving blood. Pour in the oil of your Holy Spirit of grace and mercy. And bring them, Lord. Bring them into relationship with you. As we call upon your name, you said it would happen. And I ask you to do it right now in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Now, now. We have an opportunity as a church to fulfill this parable. Recipients of His grace, go thou, do likewise. Find someone that's shattered and broken and make a difference. Brother Woody's going to come right now and he's going to tell you exactly how that this morning we're going to be able to go to one in our midst that's bruised and broken and shattered and bind up and heal and help. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.